got the nod. Psalm 1, please. Hey, it's been a joy to be here today, and you all have been so gracious. Much appreciated. I, I have to tell you something. My wife and I travel together quite a bit. She's in Minnesota this weekend with grandkids. Sorry, they always win. I, I lose. Um, but when we travel, we always mention everybody has gone to the screen with the words, and we love it. It helps. We do it at school. Uh, everybody's doing it, but we always ask. I wonder why the notes aren't up there. So I had to call her this afternoon and said, honey, they're putting the notes of the music up on the screen. And she said, hallelujah, that was her answer. It doesn't help my singing, but she was happy. Hey, this week is our last week of classes. Wow. So if you think of us, we covet your prayers. We will finish on Friday, Lord willing. And then on Monday, Tuesday, and Wednesday, we do something called Open Finals. Students can take their finals as they please, when they please, kind of, you know, whichever ones they want to do first. And then they leave. And so the campus gets really empty. And a week from Friday, we'll have our graduation ceremony. And then those students will leave, and the campus then gets really lonely, really quick. So, but pray for us that just this last week and a half of school, and we will be done. Psalm 1, Council, is what we title this. And the question is, is your estate plan biblical? Bigger question would be, do you have an estate plan? And I ask that question sincerely. As I go around traveling to different churches, I would guess somewhere between... 50 and 60% of our church members don't have wills. I was actually sitting with a couple of 80-year-olds. They were concerned about some property they owned. There was five siblings, and they couldn't figure out what to do because one of the siblings was sick, and they thought the state was going to make them cash out their land, which would make the other four family members cash out their land. Asked a simple question, what does your will say? These are 80-year-olds. Well, we don't have a will. Well, then it doesn't matter because the judge gets to decide what happens to the property. So we tried to encourage them strongly to go get that taken care of and then also to find a real estate lawyer, which would have been helpful. A couple of quotes for you. I hope you can read these slides a little bit easier than the ones this morning. I apologize for that. Too many people spend money they haven't earned to buy things they don't need to impress people they don't like. Hopefully that's not you. But here's an interesting quote from Carnegie. The almighty dollar bequeathed to a child is an almighty curse. No man has the right to handicap his son with the burden of great wealth. He must face this question squarely. Will my fortune be safe with my boy, and will my boy be safe with my fortune? These are great questions that you need to ask, right? And here's what's fascinating to me. I am a baby boomer. My wife and I were born in 1953, so we're kind of smack dab in the middle of the baby boom generation. The last line up there, between 30 trillion and $68 trillion will be passed down to millennials Gen Xers, and the generations to follow. 
That's a whole lot of money. I don't care who you are. That's a lot of money. And the Bible has much to say about it. It has much to say about your estate planning. And the interesting thing is God's way is always the best way. And so our assignment is to study God's word and apply the truths that we learn to our estate plan. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty for all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head over all. So my question is, as we begin tonight, and why we had you turn to Psalm 1 is, where do you get your advice from? What, what direction do you get as you think about estate planning, your will, your finances, and all those things. The Bible tells us I can seek advice from two different directions. Read with me Psalm 1. Listen as we read. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night, and he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. The ungodly are not so, but are like the chaff which the wind driveth away. Therefore the ungodly shall not stand in the judgment, nor sinners in the congregation of the righteous. For the Lord knoweth, literally means, he has an intimate awareness of the way of the righteous, but the way of the ungodly shall perish. It's a tremendous passage for us to consider. And, you know, it, it, it's very interesting. The whole book of Psalms really gives you three characters, if you will, the righteous, the unrighteous, and God. And as it goes through, we see those people coming back and forth through it, and it ends in Psalm 150 by telling us that we are to praise God. That's where it concludes. And it's fascinating as you read this, as you read through this passage, and, and you, like I, have probably heard many messages on Psalm 1. And I, I, I really don't have the time tonight to really go through all of this. We talked about this in our Sunday school class a couple, couple weeks ago about the conversation about the blessed man and being planted, and we like to focus on that. But we were reminded of what verse 6 says, that the, the way of the ungodly shall perish. And what we were challenged with when we went through Psalm 1 was the question of how concerned are we about our neighbors? about our coworkers, about our family members, about our friends that do not know Christ. Because the Bible makes it very clear, the ungodly shall perish. Are you aware of that? Does it trouble you? Does it prick your heart? Does it cause you to want to go tell somebody about what God has done for you. 
And that was the challenge that we ended up with from that passage. It's not my challenge to you tonight, but it's a reminder of what God's word says. He uses some interesting terminology here back in verse number one, this concept of walking. And then we stand and then we sit. And and again, I told you this morning, I got a crazy mind, I admit it. But it's this idea that I get alongside this ungodly, unrighteous man, and we're just walking and talking. And I would guess the majority of you work in what I would call non-ministerial ministerial positions, right? You're working in the world. And your elbows are touching the unsaved. And you're, you're walking with them. But all of a sudden, you stand and talk. And the conversation gets a little bit deeper. And their thought process some starts to come into your mind. And then the Bible says, we sit. And all of a sudden, we're a participant in their interest. And that ought not be. So where do you get your advice? Do you get your advice from the ungodly? Because so-and-so is on the radio and says you should do this? Or do you get your advice from Scripture? That's what I want to challenge you with tonight as we go through this. There is a promised result for us if we will follow God's word. And God says he has an intimate awareness of whether or not we're doing that. And I don't know about you, that that really makes me think that God knows everything about me. He knows everything about you. He knows what you're all thinking right now. He knows what you're going to be doing an hour from now. He has an intimate awareness of you and I. And we need to be aware of that. I want to give you three truths. Right? Three great truths. Not on your outline. One is that God owns everything. Everything. Right? You're not going to be able to read that, are you? The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. Psalm 24.1. And then he says, For every beast of the forest is mine and the cattle upon a thousand hills. Psalm 50. Everything belongs to God. How about number two? You can't take it with you. There's a reason why the pyramids are so popular. And everybody wants to go raid them. The Pharaoh was burying his treasure with him. Everybody wants to go get it, because guess what? It's still there. Right? Bible says, for we brought nothing into the world and it's certain we can carry nothing out. I used to tell people, you never saw a hearse pulling a trailer. I have to show you this. I was in Colorado visiting my son. We were stopped at a stoplight and my daughter-in-law said, oh, dad, look. (laughs) A hearse pulling a trailer. Okay. Doesn't matter. You still can't take it with you. 
But finally, and probably most importantly, you have to give an account. You will stand before the Lord and give an account. Moreover, it's required in a steward that a man be found faithful. I always, I always love this. I told you this morning we've been married 50 years, right? I love my wife dearly. She's so precious to me, right? When I get before the Lord, guess what? She won't be standing next to me. I won't look at God and say, the old Adam line, the woman you gave me, it's her fault. It's me and the Lord. It'll be you and the Lord giving an account. And we need to be aware of that. We need to be challenged with that thought. Let me give you a contrast between secular planning and biblical planning. The secular world will tell you that I own it. The Bible tells me I'm a steward. I'm managing it for God. The world will tell you it's temporal. What does the Bible tell you? It's eternal. The world will tell you, give it all to heirs and taxes is your primary objective. The Bible will tell you God's will is primary. So there's a difference and you need to be aware of that. Right, that? So a secular, a secular approach to developing your estate plan says that I'm going to maximize income for my personal consumptions. Used to be one of my favorite bumper stickers. I am spending my children's inheritance. Right? Personal consumption. Or I can give it all to the kids at death or spend it all. We talk about one of the great questions in life. I have three kids. Is their inheritance all exactly the same? I'll come back to that. C is considered charity if there's tax advantages. That's the world's philosophy. What's a biblical philosophy? Well, I would suggest, well, let me go back to this for just a minute. Man's view, I want my kids to leave it, have it easier than I did. I don't want the state to get any of my property when I die. I don't want the attorneys to get their grubby hands on my stuff. Any attorneys in the room? Oh. Um, I would love to see my grandchildren have the educational opportunities I never had. I want to die quick at home and not leave a mess. That's kind of the worldly philosophy. Here's a biblical approach. Lifetime provision and care for my family. That should be a priority. How about a thoughtful inheritance? And I, I mentioned it a minute ago, and I'm very sincere when I say this. I don't know that every one of your children deserves exactly the same inheritance. You should know, and it should be thoughtful. When my mother-in-law passed, there were four kids left. Four out of five were left. And the youngest son is, the technical term is he's a mess. And if she would have left all the money to him, he would have blown it. It would have been gone in two weeks. 
and he would have had nothing. So she very thoughtfully figured out how she was going to leave him his inheritance. It was planned and thought through. And probably most importantly, your estate plan should honor the Lord. God's view, you plan. Ever read the book of Nehemiah? I think he had a plan to build the wall, right? Planning pays dividends. My Old Testament hero is Joseph. And he had a plan for the famine because God instructed him, right? Who then is that wise and faithful steward for under, under whomsoever much is given of him much shall be required. It's the words of the Lord. All the tithe is the Lord, and it's holy unto the Lord. A good man leaveth an inheritance to his children's children. Commit thy works unto the Lord, and thy thoughts shall be established. So there's lots of lessons we can learn from Scripture in planning our estate plan. And I'm going to get to some practical things. Why do you avoid it? Why do people avoid planning their estate? Well, I would suggest, number one, it forces us to consider the fact that we're going to die. Unless the Lord returns, there is not a soul in this room who will not die. And guess what? God knows what day that's going to happen for each one of us. It's appointed unto man once to die. I have an appointment. You have an appointment. The second reason is we don't want to talk to a lawyer. I usually get at least a smile out of that one, but it's true. You know, one of these guys. We don't like talking to them. And why... Over the age of 18, now hear what I say, over the age of 18, everybody needs an estate plan. Your estate plan will protect and provide for your loved ones. It will avoid probate, it will reduce taxes, it will avoid conservatorship, and it will enable you to obey God and enjoy peace of mind. Probably the best of all of those. But there's three phases. Any newlyweds in the room? That's usually when you have to first start thinking about an estate plan. And that's because you probably don't have a lot of assets unless you happen to be, have parents that are independently wealthy and they give it all to you, I guess. I don't know, but most of the time. But the major need is to care for children and planning for that. And the question is, for those young parents in the room, what happens if both mom and dad die? What happens? Somebody has to take care of them. And everybody, everybody whenever I bring this up, says, nah, that's not going to happen to us. There's a, there's a wonderful pastor up in Indianapolis whose son was his youth pastor. 
His son and his wife were on a trip up to Camp Kobiak, and they were driving back on the bus, and there was an accident. The youth pastor, the youth pastor's wife, and the unborn child were all killed. There was a four-year-old boy. There was no will. Godly pastor, godly in-laws. They both said, we'd like the boy. We'd like to be responsible for the boy. So the judge got to decide which family. So if nothing else, if you're a young couple with young children, I beg of you, get that resolved. We'll talk a little bit more about that in a minute. The next phase is empty nest. Woohoo, that's me. Right? The youngest child is gone. They moved out. Right? There's no guardianship. Yay. Right? But life is changing. <laughs> Trust me, it's changing. Right? And then there's late retirement. This is a great time. In theory, we know more about life. In theory. Right? We also know our family needs. We know which kid needs what. Which grandchild needs what. It's usually the largest amount of our assets. Right? It's also a time when there's great uncertainties of life. So that's really the the three phases of estate planning. Most of you are in one of those three phases. And they, again, where I started tonight is, do you have the plan? Do you have an estate plan? So how do you do this? Well, you start with a will and testament. And somebody's going to ask me afterwards, can I use legal Zoom or whatever? Sure. I usually recommend you try to talk to an attorney, but if you want to do that, that's fine. Um, you need to define a power of attorney, an agent. It's durable. Sometimes it's springing. An event happens, and the power of attorney goes into play. Sometimes it's immediate. So I'll talk about that in a minute. Immediate is, when I'm dead, I'm dead. I have named a power of attorney, they're in charge. And then we talk about a healthcare surrogate. If you've been to the hospital recently, you have a test, whether it's a lab test or a surgery, whatever it is, and you're signing in at the desk, they always ask me this question. Do you have a living will? Anybody else been asked that question? Get asked that all the time. My answer is no, I do not. I have a health care surrogate. Everybody always looks at me and says, ooh, that's literally a power of attorney for my health. It happens to be my wife. I think she likes me. Not sure. But if I were to get sick and there was a question... I'm pretty sure that she loves me enough that she's going to do the right thing. 
not a doctor, it's not a nurse. I didn't say ahead of time, if this happens, I want to die. So it's not, it is not, one more time, it is not a living will. A living will is trying to give doctors advice before the event happens. Forty years ago, I would have told you, if I can't play basketball, this is a stupid example, but it's true. If I can't play basketball, I want to die. Trust me, I can't play basketball today. Between the back and the knees and my age, and the kids are so much faster now, not a chance. The only way I can play basketball is if I grab a hold of a guy's shirt and I let them drag me down the floor. Yes, folks, I have done that, okay? So I should die. That's what I said, right? That concept comes from the euthanasia proponents, the right to die folks. And once you start getting into this, it leads to all kinds of directions. So I can talk to you more about it if you like, but I can't more strongly recommend if you have a living will today, get rid of it, get a healthcare surrogate. Pick somebody that you think is gonna do the right thing. We have experienced this three times in our lifetime. I had a brother-in-law who choked on a hot dog and effectively became brain dead. He lost oxygen for about 10 minutes. His, his son and I sat in his hospital room and prayed, and the son had to make a choice as to whether or not to turn the machines off. That was his son making that choice. My sister-in-law had a disease called internal scleroderma. Scleroderma is a rough, roughening up of the skin on the outside, kind of. I'm not a medical person. Hers was internal. Her lungs were hardening. Two and a half years she suffered. My wife was her healthcare surrogate. And she went and sat with her the last week of her life. And she talked to her and talked to her and talked to her and they prayed. And my wife had to tell the doctors it was time to turn the machine off. When my mother-in-law had a brain hemorrhage in church singing the opening hymn. They kept her alive that day and we drove from Wisconsin to Michigan so that my wife could hold her mother's hands one last time. And then she told the doctor, you can turn the machines off. Now, I don't know about you and you can tell us we're heartless and we have no right to do that. That was the decision that they made, and it was a decision that we made in love. It was not a doctor making a decision. The difference in all of this is a young lady in Florida by the name of Terry Schiavo. There was nothing in writing. Her husband wanted the money. Her mom and dad wanted her to live. It went to a judge. The judge said the doctors get to decide 
They turned the machines off, and it took her a week. They starved her to death. It's your choice. A living will or a health care surrogate. Personally, I think it's a whole lot better. There's my good English again. But a health care surrogate. So if you have a living will, I can't, can't more strongly encourage you to change it. I think life is worth living. A living will says there are conditions where life is not worth living. What should your will contain? Let's have some fun. Number one, I think it ought to contain your Christian testimony. Do you guys like giving your testimony? Do you like telling people what the Lord's done for you? Why wouldn't you put it in your will? Who's going to read your will? Family members that want all your stuff. The lawyers are going to have to read it. The judge is going to have to read it. Why wouldn't you put it in? It's your last chance to give a testimony of what God's done for you. Number two, you designate an, an executor. Who's going to handle all the stuff? And then you, if you have young children under the age of 18, maybe there's different circumstances where they're over 18 and they need help, but you need to establish guardianship. Um, when you do the guardian, please go talk to the people that you're going to name to get your children. Make them aware. Usually recommend you get a second family as well. People do change their minds. So you have a backup. But go talk to the people that you'd like to live your, leave your children with. Make sure it's okay. Provide or name a property trustee for your kids. It's usually advisable, not always, but usually advisable, that you have a guardian that's taking care of the children. You have somebody else who's the property trustee that's providing the funds that allow the child to be taken care of. So it's usually wise to have two different people involved in that. Obviously, you want to distribute your assets. Who's going to get what? You're going to try to avoid probate. Uh, typically, a lot of people, we have a trust. It's a good way to do that. There are things that you can transfer on death. You ought to be aware of that. There's also things that are paid on debt, on death. Um, so here's the deal. Pat and I, five, we each had four siblings. We're, we're the middle child of five. Somehow we both became the executor of our family's estates. Her mother had an outstanding will. Everything was taken care of. My mother had nothing. So she passed away. I was on a, on a business trip, and she passed away. I came home, went to the funeral home, and um, the first thing the funeral director said was, you need to get an attorney. So she passed away on Friday, Saturday morning. We're with the real estate agent, or the real estate agent, the funeral director. Monday morning, we're with the attorney. 
First thing he says is, well, you need an executor. Four sets of eyeballs turned around and looked at Steve. Great, thanks. I became the executor. It took me eight months to sort through everything. Had to go through the attorney, had to go to probate. We had to itemize everything. It just took us forever. Didn't seem like it was ever going to end. When we finally settled, I had to set up a separate checking account. We wrote a check to the five kids. Everybody got their share. It was done, right? After we paid the lawyer and everybody else. My mother-in-law, on the other hand, it was all taken care of to the point that when she died, she had signed a quit-claim deed on the house. Her house was immediately transferred to my wife. It never went through probate. All of her financial documents had my wife's name on it. They were automatically transferred to her. Very, very, very little ever saw a judge went to probate because she had planned it out. It was done in less than a week. It was taken care of. So there's all kinds of reasons to do that. The last thing is there's a residual. Usually we do things kind of interesting. We write a will and we, we list out the heirs. And if there's anything left over, we can give it to whatever. I told you I have three children. I have four children in my will. I, the Lord's been very kind to us. We would like to give back to him. It is, after all, our last chance. So rather than giving God the leftovers, we've named him, if you will, an heir through a different couple of different groups. And we've identified someone is going to get some of those funds. And we've done that very intentionally. So rather than it being an afterthought, it's part of the planning. I had a lady that passed away. She had $3.2 million was her assets. She had no children, no relatives. There were 12 ministries that received an inheritance at her designation when she died because she was thoughtful. She wanted to do that, right? The residual, you know, we usually have specific bequests. Then we have residual bequests. And the question I give you tonight is, how much of God's resources will you not return to him? Remember where we started, he owns it all. What will you not give back to him? How much is enough for your inheritance, for your children and for others? That makes us, gives us the opportunity of doing some treasure building and giving it to others, right? <laughs> and you and I, remember we said you will stand before God? I really honestly believe one of his questions is, what did you do with what I gave you? What are you going to tell him? 
What will you say? So who should I leave my property to? Um, obviously, your loved ones. But if Jesus is your faithful friend, isn't he one of your beneficiaries? Believers have been can't, commanded to leave a percentage of their estate to God. I know it's Old Testament, but it's there. And the question that Malachi asks us is, will a man rob God? I think you can leave a portion of your estate to the church or to some other specific ministries. I think you can, and I think you should do that. So let me leave you with one last thought. I get asked this too. When should I change my documents? Well, if you get married, that would be wise. Unless you really don't love the person. But if you get divorced, that would really be wise. What if you have a baby? Yeah, obviously now you have to change your documents. What if you have new stepchildren? It's always a great question. Are stepchildren included in your will? Answer is no, unless you add them. Just because you married somebody that had children, you married the person, you didn't marry the kids. The kids are not automatically part of your will. You have to make a change. You have to add them, right? If you have substantial property, especially if you have substantial property in more than one state, because state laws are different. So you need to be aware of that and deal with that. If you move from Alabama to Wisconsin, I didn't get an amen. Um, My wife just gave you an amen. <laughs> she told me that this afternoon. Can we move back down south? Um, if you move to a new state, you need to check your documents. If, what happens if you change your mind? I had a 90-year-old woman come to me. We were doing a seminar like this. She only had two kids, and they were older. She had a house, and she had sold her house and used the money to help her daughter buy her house. She had a son. She had a daughter. She sold her house, which, is, which was effectively her entire estate, gave the money to the daughter to buy a house, and then she moved into the house. And then it dawned on her. If I die, my son is going to want his inheritance and he's going to tell my daughter, you must sell your house. She says, I don't want that to happen. So she dutifully sat down at her computer and she typed up this wonderful letter and she said, I've changed my mind and I want to give 100% of my estate to my daughter. And she signed it. And she said, this is legal now, isn't it? And I said, absolutely not. Nobody knows who typed the letter. Nobody knows the condition. 
Nobody notarized it. Nobody witnessed it. The lawyer didn't touch it. Said you have to go back to the attorney and change the will. She died about six months later. I still don't know if she did it or not. That's a problem. If you change your mind, change the documents. And some of us change our minds a lot, right? So you need to look at some long-term goals for your kids. How much will they need? You need to do retirement planning. I love the story about the ants in Proverbs and how they do it. The question is, are you providing or you're hoarding? It's a really good question. So I have a young man who graduated from Maranatha in 2014. He was one of my first students. Really good kid. He now sells all this stuff. He is a certified financial planner, and he's got about half of our money. And he asked me one day, why are you waiting? I said, what am I waiting for what? He says, why are you waiting to give your children your inherit- their inheritance? You're not going to need the money when you retire. Boy, isn't that a good thing to hear, right? He said, look at where you're going to be. You're going to be fine. He said, would you rather give it to them after you die? Or would you rather give it to them now and see what they do? But whoa, what a great question. So we did. We started looking at what can we afford to allow the kids to have now. And now we get to watch. And we get to see what they're going to do. And I thought, whoa, this is really cool. My grandson, Lord willing, will be on campus at Maranatha in the fall. First one. I've been telling everybody that every child on campus could be my grandchild. Now I'm proving it. Scary thought. We're trying to decide how much we're going to help him with his education. Because we can. So wouldn't that be more fun? To see it today rather than waiting. Maybe you can't do that. That's okay. Not questioning that. But maybe you can. Why would you wait? Share it now. Right? Some requests, retirement, I get asked this question every day, getting tired of it. I was speaking to some of the students. I said, quit asking me when I'm going to retire. I signed my contract for next year. Okay? I'm coming back. But when do you want to retire? Right? What do you want to see yourself doing after you leave your job? How much money are you going to need? And there's, man, there's all kinds of factoids and tables out there, right? What percentage of that amount will your private retirement account need to protect? And then can you realistically achieve those goals? I had a man come to me. He wanted to retire early. He was going to be 64. He was going to start taking out Social Security because he was all excited. He had $150,000 in a retirement account. I said, how much money do you need every year to live? He said, about 40000 I said, your 401k lasted a grand total of three years. I said, why is that? 
because you're probably going to have to take 50000 out because Uncle Sam's going to want some money. And last time I checked, 50 times 3 is 150. Then what are you going to do? He had to rethink his retirement plans and what he was going to do. The third thing is inheritance issues. And what are you doing about those? When do I share what I have? And there's a great life lesson. We have a very short time on the earth. We have a very long time in eternity. That's why it's called eternity. Right? Our retirement planning should be the prospect of standing before the Lord to give an account for the way you handled your life and your money. That's the life lesson for you. You will stand before the Lord. You will have to answer that question. Right? So keep it simple. Keep it flexible. Keep it always right. But most importantly, keep it biblical. I'll leave you with one last thought. We talked about attorneys. Where are attorneys trained? Secular universities. Best I can figure, with one exception, there's one Christian law school in the United States. Most attorneys are trained in secular universities. What are they learning? So you need to find yourself a lawyer, a Christian lawyer who actually believes this and practices this and not secular philosophy, I would challenge you to do that because there is a difference. So I won't keep you any longer. I'm here. If you have some questions about any of this, happy to answer them. I'm not going anywhere tonight, so I'm happy to stay. But I just want to challenge you with the thought that you are going to stand before God and how you deal with what God has given you, what he's asked you to steward, is what you're going to have to answer for. And he wants us to be faithful. And do you want to hear those words? Well done, the good and faithful servant. I do. I pray you do as well. Let's pray. Father, again, we're so grateful for your word and for its truth. Father, for this concept of estate planning and being prepared and doing it in a way that is biblical and will honor and glorify you. Lord, I pray this has been a help. And Lord, I pray that it has caused us to think about how we will approach that which you've given to us, that which you've entrusted to us that which we are responsible to steward. And Lord, I just pray that we might be faithful in doing that. And we'll praise you for all of this in Christ's name. Amen. Pastor. All right, thank you. If you have any questions for uh, Mr. Board tonight, um, he'll be in the lobby there to answer any of those who would be a help to you. God bless you. You are dismissed. <laughs>